Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. All right, if you go ahead and take your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. Now, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been laying this foundation of sanctification, of our growth in Christ, and we've already covered uh, what uh, growth is, uh, growth or sanctification as uh, what uh, the Word teaches us is uh, it's described uh, in the process that God uses to set us apart for His own particular use and purpose. Uh, Sometimes the word is used as the uh, word holy or holiness. God sets us apart. He makes us holy uh, for His purpose. Uh, We looked at why we need growth, and as we began uh, in uh, Romans chapter number six, why we need growth, uh, because as what uh, Paul concluded there, that because of our position in Christ, because we have been declared holy, uh, living a sanctified life, a holy life, is the only life that is consistent with our position. So in other words, if Christ has made you holy, then live like it, right? That's the whole thing. He says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. God forbid that we should uh, live that type of way. And those of us who have died uh, to sin because of what Christ has done, because Christ died on the cross and he died for our sins, those of us that are in Christ, we have died to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. It no longer has power over us. Uh, The only reason why we continue to sin is because we choose uh, to continue to sin. Uh, the unbeliever uh, does not have that, uh, that capability. Uh, it's not the fact that we are saved from the presence of sin, but that we are saved from the power of sin. And so we have this new position in Christ. And as we looked at uh, last week, uh, what our growth or our sanctification looks like. Paul continues his, his statement about our sanctification in Christ in Romans 6 on through Romans chapter 7. And as we concluded, uh, the fact that our growth, our sanctification is a, is a process, it's a whole uh, lifetime process, a series of victories and defeats, constant struggle. As uh, Paul said, uh, what the Christian uh, desperately desires to do He does not. What he hates, he does. And so this sanctification is a lifelong process of constant struggle, constant uh, defeats, and uh, sprinkled in there with victories and struggles uh, through that whole process. Now today we're going to be looking, Paul continues his whole thing of sanctification, and we're going to look here specifically in Romans chapter number 8. Now, Romans 6, 7, and 8, all three of these chapters go together, okay? And uh, you, you should read them with all of its context together. If there's one thing that you should learn how to read and study God's Word is remember this one simple truth. Context, 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 okay? Always read verses that are surrounding it. Always read verses that are before it, after it. Always put things within context, okay? And so that's why we include Romans chapter number eight with this whole process of our sanctification. Now, 
as we look at this, I will not be able to do Romans chapter 8 justice here. Romans chapter number eight is what uh, one Bible commentator said about it, is if you look at the, uh, the uh, New Testament as being a ring, Romans chapter number eight is like the diamond on that ring, okay? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 12 years uh, going through uh, the book of Romans. Uh, probably, I think it was about 360-some sermons alone out of the book of Romans. And so I will not be able to do it justice here. So what we're going to do today is instead of looking at it with a microscope and looking really, really in detail, uh, we're going to kind of look at it as a telescope today. And we're going to kind of look at it from the back, way back here. And we're going to kind of look at some of these things uh, here today. And so where we left off here in, in Romans 7, Paul talks about this, this struggle that we have with the flesh. The law is not evil, it's our flesh that is evil. The law is good, righteous, and holy to bring us to faith in Christ, but also to continue to drive us to Christ because what the law cannot do, it cannot satisfy God's desires. So can't, the flesh cannot satisfy God's desires, God's needs, and God's, what he desires for us. The flesh cannot do that. And so it is only through Christ, as we uh, follow Christ, we yield to Christ, uh, that we're able to uh, do what God desires for us to do. And so it kind of leaves us in this place. Where is the victory for the believer? How do we grow in Christ? How does this happen? And so that's where it takes us here in Romans chapter number eight. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. I can grow in Christ through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I can grow in Christ through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's take notice here a few things. Number one, we have the spirit of life. We have the spirit of life. Notice how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as the spirit of life. Uh, Romans chapter eight, uh, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here it is, verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Look at uh, Romans 8, 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What Paul is saying in this portion of scripture is, is that what Christ accomplished by his death, his burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit now applies through his indwelling in the life of the Christian. What Christ has won for us positionally, the Holy Spirit works in us now practically. And so he says that there is now no there is now no condemnation. Think about that. There is no condemnation in the life of the Christian. Why? Because all of our sins have been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. Not only have we been delivered from the penalty of sin, 
We've also been delivered from its power. Remember, we died with Christ. We took part in that death. We died with Christ. Therefore, sin has no, no longer has any power over you. We've died to sin. And so we've been delivered from its power. And since the law was incapable of producing righteousness due to the weakness of our flesh, Christ redeemed us from bondage to the law by his death. If you remember in Paul's illustration in uh, Romans 7 about the marriage, remember he talked about that, about uh, when, when a spouse dies, they are released from that law. And so he says that the claims of the law and of sin on the Christian have been fully met in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have died to the law and to sin's authority over us. And so we have life. We have life now. Remember Ephesians, you who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. But now because of the work of Christ, you have life because of the work of the Holy Spirit. God has made provision for the Christian to fulfill the requirements of the law through the Holy Spirit's power. Look at Romans 8 verse number 4. He says, in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, notice, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What could never be accomplished in the power of the flesh, the meeting of the righteous standards of the law can be achieved now through the power of the Spirit. Now notice how Paul shows us this. Look at verse number eight. He says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So first of all, the flesh is hostile toward God because look what he says in verse number seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Secondly, the flesh can only produce death. Look at verse number six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So if the flesh cannot please God, how then are we supposed to grow? As I had mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we were part of a denomination that really, really stressed this whole idea that, that somehow you could achieve God's uh, love or you could achieve God's, God's uh, a favor on your life by doing, just by doing good things. Uh, now that you're saved, now you have to do all these lists of do's and don'ts, therefore you would have God's favor on your life. Well, I'm sorry, but the Bible is clear, clear here in the fact that it says that the flesh cannot please God. So how do we grow? Well, if you know Christ, you do have an alternative. God has placed his spirit within every Christian and this spirit is now the source of liberty and of life is what he says here in verse number nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, notice this, does not belong to him. So either you have the spirit of God living in you or you don't. There's no in between. It's not like, well, I kind of had him today, but 
tomorrow I may not, and maybe I did when I woke up this morning, but I know when I get home and I start you know, doing my stuff, I'm not gonna have the Spirit of God. No, either you have the Spirit of God or you don't have the Spirit of God. That's how clear and cut Paul makes it here is the fact that we have this source of liberty and life in us. And so if you are a true Christian, then the Holy Spirit indwells you. And notice this, even further more than this, the Holy Spirit who indwells us is a life-giving spirit. Look at verse number 11. I love this. This is, just, this is just astounding what he says here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says, I want you to see how much power the Holy Spirit has. What power does the Holy Spirit have? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's power. That's immense power that he has. And so he can give life to our mortal bodies. He can produce in us the righteousness that God requires of his saints. So we have the spirit of life. Notice the second thing here. We have the spirit of adoption. When we talk about this fact that we have the spirit of adoption, uh, it is a blessing, I believe, in the Christian's life. When, when we fully, really understand what adoption really is, is what, uh, what scripture speaks about it, it is a blessing. It really is. When we come to know Christ, we are justified in Christ. We're justified in him. All of our sins are forgiven. We stand before Christ forgiven. We're justified in his sight. Not on the basis of what we did, but solely on the basis of what Christ has accomplished. Now, Christ takes our sin in exchange for his righteousness, right? That's uh, what uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 teaches us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But in adoption, we are made the sons of God. Let me illustrate it in this way. Suppose to you that I was a habitual repeat offender living a life of crime and debauchery. Constant, constant, constant. I was in and out of the court system always, always, always. And time after time after time, the judge would find me guilty. I would go to jail. I would go to prison. I would come out and I would continue this life of crime. Now, it would be one thing for the judge to pronounce me innocent in the eyes of the law on the basis of my wrongdoings that had been paid for but it would be something far greater now for the judge to, meet, to make me his own son and take me home to be a part of his family. The Holy Spirit is the source of our sanctification in that he is the spirit of adoption. And that is the big idea. Look at these verses in verses 12 through 17. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Paul informs us that we have absolutely no obligation to relapse into a walk according to the flesh because it's inconsistent with our position in Christ. We've been adopted. We've been set free. We've been declared holy. Why on earth would we continue in sin? Why on earth would we continue and willingly go into the prison and shut the door and put on the shackles? Why would you do that? Why would you live that way? You've been set free. You have life. You have liberty. And so he says here that walking in the flesh produces death, walking in the spirit produces life, verse 13. And not only is the Christian characterized as one who has the spirit dwelling within, but in verse 14, he says this. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And so the Christian is also one who is being led by the spirits. And more than this, the Holy Spirit gives or makes us a son and not a slave. Look what he says in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word adoption today has a different meaning than it did back in New Testament times. In the first century, an adopted son was a son that was deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to preserve his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior in status to a son that was born naturally into the family. The adoptive son would enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Think about that. If you have ever wondered about God's love for you, that if his love is real, in our adoptive status with the Father, he chose us knowing what? The worst about you. The worst about you. And he adopted you and he chose you knowing what you were, a sinner. The very worst about you. And he did all of that because he wants to reproduce his character in your life and in my life. And he does all this through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a process of sanctification. It's a process as we are growing in his likeness. Look at the word Paul uses here to express our adoptive status. Look what he says here in verse 15. He says, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the intimate family term for father that a baby would use to address its father. We'd probably find its equivalent in the expression of daddy. 
daddy. You know, there is, uh, this is one of these things about parenting. You know, um, I was downstairs uh, this morning getting some things uh, ready, kind of going over uh, the text here and, and just thinking about it. And Evelyn was still asleep, but then she woke up and I heard these words. Daddy? She's up. Think about the love. Think about how we express that. And Paul uses this, the intimate family term that we are children of God now. We cry, Daddy, Father. I hope you see the weight here in Paul's words. The Holy Spirit not only joins us to the family of God, but he continually assures us and reminds us of this relationship. What do we do? We're constantly crying, Abba, Father. Daddy, father, daddy, father, father. We constantly express that. Notice how Paul says the Holy Spirit assures us of the fact that we are part of that family. Look at verse number 16. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do we know that he is bearing witness? How do we know that? I believe it is through the scriptures. I believe it is through our devotional life with the Lord. Isn't it interesting when you read and you study God's word, that the word comes alive and the spirit himself is constantly reassuring you that you know Christ and that the, that the Holy Spirit indwells in you. He reassures us that we do know him. But I would say also the biggest evidence would be here what he says in verse 17. Look at this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, notice this, don't miss it, provided we, what? Suffer with him. Mm. Boy, that's hard. That's hard. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Can I tell you that our suffering in Christ gives weight and evidence that we are children of God. We should never shun suffering, that we don't want it. Is it hard? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. But we should welcome it because it is an evidence that we do know Christ, that we are part of his family. Let's look at one more here. We have the spirit of hope. Perhaps one thing that you've come to notice, I believe in the Christian life, I've noticed this in my own life, is that the Christian life is a life of continual struggle, always struggling, always struggling. It seems that you take two steps forward and you take one step back. It's a constant struggle. Sufferings, Paul talks about, he tells us are not to be compared. Look what he says here. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he says that these sufferings is not to be compared with the glory that is to follow. 
You see, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of hope because he assures us that great glory is awaiting us. If you have not suffered much, I believe that your time will come. And God has inspired this portion of scripture for your suffering, for my suffering, to give us great hope in the midst of suffering. Look what he says here about this. And I want you to be encouraged because I think sometimes we look at our suffering as it's only me, it's only me. Okay, it's, it's always just inward. Me, 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 me. It's, uh, God, this is happening, it's me, 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 okay? But I want you to show how, I want you to see how God uses suffering and it, that through the midst of suffering, he gives us great hope. Look at this, verse 22. And he's gonna show us that all of creation is involved in suffering. Look at what he says here, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation is growing. In other words, don't think that when you suffer, it has to do only with you and your personal situation. You are part of a groaning that the whole creation experiences. Look at verse 21. Look what he says here that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice again that the creation is in slavery to corruption. Your groaning and your suffering in this world are part of a universal slavery to corruption. Look at verse number 20. Look what he says here. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now here it is. In what? In hope. So it's not the create. It's the it's the creation that is in the grip of fertility. Not just mankind. Not just you. Now don't miss this again. Look at verse number twenty. Look what he says here. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, who is him? Who did this? Sometimes we like to look at it and say, well, yeah, Adam, of course, right? He brought all this misery on us. Look what he's done. He's ruined our lives. but it's actually God's doing in all of this. You say, how do you know that? Because look at the words there, in hope, in hope. This was God's doing in his action. How do we know it was not Adam by his sin or Satan by his temptation of Adam and Eve? Because those words, in hope. Adam did not subject the world to fertility in hope. Adam had no plan for the revelation of the sons of God. Satan had no plan for that. But guess who did? God did. From eternity past, before the foundation of the world was ever created or laid, he planned all of this in hope. So what does this do for us? How does this help our growth and sanctification? It gives us hope. The spirit of God is at work in our lives to bring hope in our lives. 
And so the struggle here is a real struggle and it affects all of creation. And we will continue to know this struggle until our full restoration and sanctification. Look what he says in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is future glorification. That is when we will be holy, holy to the Lord. W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, holy unto the Lord. When we will be completely given a new body without sin, not only will we be saved from the power of sin, but we will be saved from the very presence of sin. We will be completely sanctified. That's future. And so until we are given our transformed heavenly bodies, we will continue to be plagued by the flesh and its solicitations to sin. And so this indwelling Holy Spirit is God's earnest agreement of a future and total restoration. You know, one of the things that I did uh, before I got married was I worked a lot of hours because I was saving up for something. What do you think I was saving up for? Car. <laughs> no, I didn't have a car. <laughs> Start liking a girl. Hey, really like to marry you. What does a girl usually want? Oh, wrong hand. That one, right? Okay. Right? So I worked a lot of hours. And I worked and worked and worked and worked, saved and saved and saved and saved. And finally, went to the store, bought a ring. That was my earnest promise that I was going to marry you. I gave it to her. Not maybe, but I will do that. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is for our lives. He is our earnest promise that one day, one day, when Christ returns, our flesh will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, just like that. Be given a new body. We'll have the adoption of sons we will experience full sanctification to its fullest and we'll be with Christ. And so it's a process right now that we are going through. Christ is making us more and more like him through this process of sanctification. Now I have more here, but unfortunately you're gonna have to wait till next week. Because... And, I, and what, what is to follow here is just simply amazing what God does. And I want to encourage you, spend some time this week, read through Romans 8, um, see what God is doing in our lives in the process of sanctification. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church, or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.